0: It's mostly shock, family.
1: And
2: that's teachers. right, it's shock and yeah. off.
1: That's this, that's, this. that's, this. that's this the podcast.
2: Off. Are you ready? I guess. <laughs> oh, <look at> <laughs> Hi, so welcome back it. to Center Ed Teaching. Um, we're glad that you're back with us again today. And just a reminder to like, subscribe, and review the podcast, it's really important to me. And the fact that there aren't that many out there yet just Cuts me to my core. <laughs>
1: it's really hard we're we're trying to call some hotlines for Matt well. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. a couple of likes.
2: <laughs> that podcast um, So speaking of hard things, we're actually going to be talking about a pretty challenging topic topic today, and that's regard to what happens with students over the summer. Whether there's learning happening, there's regression happening, or if there's other some kind of inequality happening. Um, because I can't do that alone today, I'm surrounded by some brilliant people. So Courtney and Roberta are joining us again.
1: Hello, hey, I've and, missed you. <laughs>
2: and for the first time, Nick's gonna join us. Welcome, Nick. So. Welcome. Nick
1: just waved. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Nick. Welcome. New to new to sounds. Podcasting. <laughs> and Nick, can you
2: just say about for us, please?
3: Uh, now it's gonna be hard. <laughs> about.
1: About. Oh, a sorry.
2: About yeah, I was, uh, I was trying to put Nick on the spot there we to show that he's from you. Canada. Um, but if you don't mind just giving people just a brief summary of kind of who you are, where you've been in education. Uh,
3: yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Nick and I was a classroom teacher in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, I'm a PhD student in the philosophy and education program here at Teachers College. <laughs> um, I help, uh, while I've been here, um, and while when I left teaching to go back to grad school in, in Manitoba, I helped started uh, with a co-founder of a summer numeracy program for uh, indigenous youth in Winnipeg, and have continued on with that work in the summers while I've been out here. Um, and I also do some work at CFED as an elementary math coach.
0: Yeah, you do. Um, Yeah,
1: he does. Just
2: in case there are listeners that aren't as familiar, can you speak to you when you say indigenous youth, what that means in Canada? Oh yeah, sure.
3: In in America, uh, uh, folks will use like uh, terms like Native American uh, to uh, refer to the first peoples of uh, this continent, um, whose civilizations and nations and laws predated many of the ones that showed up afterwards. Um, In Canada, it's a little less common, so people often say First Nations or Indigenous. Uh, when referring to uh, similar populations of people, just to flag that uh, these communities stood independently of the showing up of the Canadian nation state or the U.S. nation state.
2: And if I'm not mistaken in that understanding, there's been, maybe not exactly the same, but a similar marginalization of those populations in Canada as in the U.S.
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, there is long a long history of official legislative denial of culture, denial of access to language, of Forcibly taking people's children's uh, children from their families and sending them to boarding schools, mm-hmm. uh, where um, you know the goal was explicitly to do things like kill the Indian and mm-hmm. the child. Um, and alongside that, there is a, a, a tradition I think uh, uh, that's as noteworthy of people who you know, despite these marginalizing forces, uh, have shown a lot of strength and resilience in maintaining spaces for culture, maintaining spaces for language, maintaining uh, spaces for for learning and for resistance to
2: these sorts of things um and although not the topic of the podcast i would for listeners that are hearing this and saying oh my god i can't believe this it is not that different from the u.s's history and there's actually um i'll put the book in the show notes a fascinating book about how um the united states government policy for dealing with native americans was actually to take the children and put them in schools to assimilate them to quote unquote american culture um So thanks for that intro, Nick, and now we can kind of get into this meaty topic. So over the summer, um, we have students who kind of fall behind their peers because learning isn't happening. This has been referred to as the summer learning gap, the summer achievement gap, uh, summer learning loss, and by others, um, the opportunity gap. So I guess the first question that I want to put out to the group is, Which of these lenses do we view this problem through, and why do we view it that way? Or is it maybe a combination of some of them?
1: I think that the language here is so interesting, right? So we started with the difference between the summer learning gap or the summer achievement gap. Mm -hmm. So one is about how much information, how much content or skills I'm taking in, the learning gap, and that some kids are taking in more than other kids. Um, the other one, uh, summer achievement gap, right? Mm-hmm. That sort of references what I'm putting out, mm-hmm. that, that I can't put out as much, or that right. over the summer I'm not putting out as much, or I'm mm-hmm. not demonstrating my learning as, mm-hmm. as much as what someone else is able to demonstrate their learning. And then there's also this idea so, is that, that the gap is about um, a comparison between mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. kid and a different kid, or one group and another group, right. um, whereas the summer learning loss is about an individual sort of right. like, I have this stuff and then I lose it. Mm-hmm. I have this, I have these skills mm-hmm. and then I lose them. Or I have this knowledge and then yeah. I lose it over the period of time that I'm not in mm-hmm. school. And I don't know, like for me personally, um, I don't know if if there's one that's sort of better than the other, but I think that if language matters, if words matter and they yeah. have meanings, then sort of understanding the different connotations between each of those titles is important. Um, the thing that I... I like the idea of the opportunity yes. gap, right? Because that's a little bit. I think that that points to sort of why there's a loss mm-hmm. or why there is a distinction between what some students retain and what other students don't retain, mm-hmm. um, and it's often um, a disparity yeah. in the opportunities that they have over the summer. But I don't know that I have like this. Is, this is my favorite way to talk mm-hmm. about it. I don't. I don't. I don't yeah. uh, prefer it that way.
0: I think I, I agree, Roberta. You just said what I was thinking, which is that for me. Thinking about it as an opportunity gap actually opens up the opportunity for educators and parents, even policymakers, to think about it as something that we can change mm-hmm. and that we can actually have some impact on. And I think that I speak for all of us here as educators who care about equity. Um, I like to think about it as an opportunity gap, and what can we do to try to bridge that gap mm-hmm. or decrease that gap? You know, so people can cross from whatever sides we're talking about. Um, the other. So that that's helpful for me um, to think of it that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Nick, did you want to weigh in on this at all?
3: Yeah, I guess, like, I think one of the things that strikes me as kind of kind of interesting is just the, the framing of it as a gap, which kind mm-hmm. of supposes that there's some way that, like, things ought to be, mm-hmm. uh, but that we're somehow, sure. like, failing to, to measure up, like, just it's not merely descriptive, but that we're noticing that there's a distinction between particular groups right. of people or people with access to particular kinds of things, um, and that there's a sort of uh, Concern that maybe that's not the right kinds of access or mm-hmm. uh, to support the right kinds of outcomes that mm-hmm. that we're that we're shooting for, um, and I think that that just adds uh, an element of like uh, concern for things like justice or like what we require mm-hmm. to have democratic citizens uh, that kind of emerges into part of the, the picture when we think about summer learning and mm-hmm. what its consequences are or are not for us as a society. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I think that that the the. the aspiration right is that like where my students are i've got two kids at the end of the year they're both getting you know 80s or they're both b students at the end of the year they should both be b students at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. year that you can sort of take that summer months and 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 fold it in on itself and if 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 september ends where august left off or where i'm sorry september begins where Mm -hmm. june left off that everybody should be right where they right where they ended right they should start right where they ended and that what what we see is that 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 doesn't happen mm-hmm. <laughs> and the question about the the question is why doesn't it happen and what is what is sort of a an expected amount of atrophy to like what can i sort of anticipate or expect what's what's a, a normalized amount mm-hmm. or what's a typical amount and then when that when it exceeds sort of what i would expect or what i would normally expect what causes that and is there anything that can mm-hmm. be done about that
2: yeah, so I, I have some opinions on this, but I, I think I'm actually going to save kind of what I think towards the end when we start talking about actions forward. But it sounds like as a group, we're settling possibly on the term of opportunity gap with Nick maybe problematizing the actual gap um, mm-hmm. in there. But can we define maybe more explicitly, um, citing some of like the research that's been done, what is it that's actually happening? What demographics are most affected by this? Um, and kind of what are the outcomes from that?
3: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, we know that, uh, in general, uh, it's a, there's a substantial amount of learning change that anyway, that happens, uh, over the summer, uh, and that access to summer learning opportunities is a significant uh, determinant of that change, uh, even when you control for socioeconomic status and race, uh, that if, if you're participating in different kinds of summer learning opportunities, there's a, chance that you come back with a little bit uh, more learning and um, if you're mm-hmm. if, if you're not having access to those those opportunities or yeah. taking advantage of them for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, you're likely to come back with less academic achievement maybe than you left the door with when you left school in June
1: yeah. right um, so yeah. even so you're yeah. saying like even yeah. affluent students are going to lose more if they don't take advantage if they' are just sit mm-hmm. around and yeah. let play, overwatch or watch all summer TV. long or just yeah. watch TV or just, like, hang out, they're going to experience the same level of, of atrophy as... I like.
3: mean, if, if their quality of experience yeah. was the same otherwise, so right. yeah, I, yeah. Think the I think that's so. what it is that controlling for. But, you know, mm-hmm. obviously, the, you, by and large, you're going to see differences in quality of experience when you have uh, access to different opportunities mm-hmm. by virtue of your wealth or yeah. um, social power or yeah.
1: whatever. It, it's interesting, too, because I think one of the things that's a major motivator for parents to get their kids into summer learning opportunities is their own ability to sort of be with their kids over the summer or not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, like, if you are um, in a, a, a family where both parents are working um, all day and if the kids are not old enough to take care of themselves, that's a huge motivator to make sure that your kids are in some sort of a summer program, yeah. whether that's a sleepaway camp or a day camp or some sort of summer school or other kind of programming, because you're just like literally not around, mm-hmm. um, and and so you either have to pay for childcare or you've got to find somewhere um, somewhere something for mm-hmm. the kid to to be doing while while you're at work. But if you are a stay-at-home parent or um, or have somebody in the family who isn't working. Teacher on, a, teacher on summer Both vacation. Teacher summer vacation. Then there's a little mm-hmm. bit more flexibility. You may take advantage of those opportunities or you, you may not.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, one other thing that we should put out is the, the difference in like achievement learning that we're talking about is specifically mm-hmm. about academic or traditionally conceived of academic learning um, because there are summer opportunities or not necessarily summer opportunities but things that students have to do in the summer that that might limit that. And I just want to put that out there. Um, Roberta, I know you had some thoughts on this before getting there. I thought you said something interesting before we started recording, Nick, and that was actually that the increasing divide um, between groups during the summer is actually more significant than during the school year, um, except for like one demographic set. Is that, is that right?
3: Yeah. I mean, the study that I'm looking at, um, I titled, Our School is a Great Equalizer, Cognitive Inequality During the Summer Months and the School Year. It's a catchy title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, suggests that, uh, yeah, that while there is more inequality produced over the summer, mm-hmm. uh, that that doesn't uh, hold true for the uh, black-white achievement gap in schools. Mm-hmm. So that um, during the school year, that gap uh, actually expands at a, a more pronounced rate than in the summer, uh, um, uniquely when compared with other demographics.
2: Yeah, and I think that's important um, an important topic and one that personally I'm very interested in, but I think also for framing this conversation, thinking about the other divides, like how important the summer is and actually how problematic it is and what it's doing um, to create educational inequality is important.
1: Yeah. Um, Roberta,
2: and you had some things that you wanted to add.
1: Well, the National Summer Learning Association is a group, a, not prof- a not-for-profit group that really looks at summer learning and it provides opportunities and then does studies on how, what, some, what happens in summer learning. And some of the stats that they quote on their website, summerlearning.org, um, talks about that students who don't have opportunities um, over the summer are going to lose between um, a, a half a year to three years um, in elementary school by the fifth grade, that they might actually fall two to three years behind their peers because of right. a lack of um, sort of over time right, so like summer on top of summer Each on top summer, of summer, yeah. that slide um, going uh-huh. going back and forth, um, that they're going to lose about two to three months um, of reading and math gains uh-huh. um, over the course of the summer, and that um, it's also a really big impact, not just on their academic learning, but also on health, because especially so many low-income Students and families receive um, lunch, free or reduced meals. price lunch. And so they get, this is like at school is mm-hmm. the only place that they're getting regular food. So when they don't have opportunity to school over the summer, they mm-hmm. actually don't have opportunity to the same, and um, I wouldn't even call school food like healthy food. Right. But, it is, but it is like food. food and food security, that's yeah. right. Um, I know New York City actually has, um, has programs where there are certain mm-hmm. either community centers, or churches who will um, be able to pass out lunches that are That's created right. by the schools and then dropped off during mm-hmm. the week so that anybody who receives lunch during the school year can also receive it in the summer. Mm-hmm. But it's a major challenge for, for many families mm-hmm. who are struggling day-to-day to put food on the table. And then we know that being hungry makes it really hard to learn for and sure. to get of those opportunities. And so it just seems like it's like one thing on top of another, on top of another, on top of another mm-hmm. that makes it really hard for, uh, for kids in those situations.
2: So something that seems to be coming out to me to kind of try to wrap up this portion of the conversation and move into thinking about what are the action steps forward from here is that there's this idea that inequality is created over the summer even among um, people from like socioeconomic statuses, like races or like ethnicities, provided that there is uh, not access to similar opportunities of quality. But then there's also a greater inequality Um, when you start to go across socioeconomic, um, racial, and ethnic lines. And so I think people will tend to view those as two separate issues, but I think Mm -hmm. they're actually the same issue. So whether, no matter what kind of school you're working at, what kind of community you're living in, I think this problem has applicability Mm -hmm. um, to you in ways to think about it. And I think that unified front is also maybe important to keep in mind Mm -hmm. as we think about action steps. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of the front lines for thinking about what's happening over the summer, I think is parents. Mm. Um, So what is it that parents can do over the summer?
0: Well, being a parent, and I know that Roberta (laughs) can also weigh in um, with experience, uh, I think that parents really need to be on the lookout all year for opportunities for their children over the summer so that it doesn't become a period of learning gap, but rather a period of great opportunities for the students to experience their children, to experience something different, Um, Some of it might be academic, to kind of address this understanding that we have about the gaps that can um, prevail over the summer, Um, but it can also be to offer children experiences that they might not usually have during the school year when they have to be in school. And um, there are a couple of websites I'm thinking about, New York City in particular, that have wonderful lists of free and inexpensive camps. Um, And actually, as you look at neighborhoods, um, this one website is actually um, called Mommy Poppins, but it has lists and lists by borough and by neighborhood of all different summer camps, um, some free and some inexpensive. So there are resources out there. I think that as parents, we need support to find those resources. So that's where the school family partnership kind of comes in because we don't all know about them, nor do we have the time or the energy to many, especially for working families um to really take the time to delve into them to find out what's out there but there are opportunities out there so that's one thing i would say
2: um and just real quick before you go roberta we'll have that link in the show notes that if you'd like to look um in your community or around your community for enrolling um, a student in there you'll have access to that perfect i
0: um
1: I think, too, about some of the choices that I can make as a parent that don't require me to send my kid mm-hmm. out, but that mm-hmm. just rec- that, but just ask me to set up some basic systems and structures for Absolutely. my kids during break, right? And I know, like, I go to work, and then I come home, and I see that my 10-year-old has been, is you know, still sitting in his pajamas, is, you know, still on his headphones, still click, 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 click away at the video or the uh, the, the video game that he's playing. And I, and I kind of look at that and I go like, oh, that's on me actually, hey, right? Sure. And so setting up some basic things in your family that say you're going to read every day. So you set the timer and here are the library. Absolutely. You're going to go to the library and pick out a book a week, mm-hmm. and you need to read for you know an hour a day. You can do it in 15-minute mm-hmm. chunks. You can do it a half an hour at a time. You can do a full hour, but you need to read for an hour. You need to do something with math. You know, or writing, and I'm trying to set up to say like you need to have some reading, you need to have some writing, you need to have some numeracy or some inquiry, Um, and these are the ways we're going to do it. Whether you're picking up note cards, notebooks, or flashbooks, notebooks or flashbooks, flashcards, or workbooks, or just visiting that library and picking up a book, but just saying like this is going to be the rule in our house, and you do one chore, and then you can have a couple of hours to to have your own vacation time. You know, anybody can can do that, can access that. That's just about setting up some systems and expectations um, and, you know, to enjoy it with your kid, to say, I'm going to do the same thing this summer. I'm going to read. My son, it's one of the favorite things that he's kind of, you know, but like uh, one of the favorite things to do is let's let's turn off the TV and let's all just read together for a little while and just have some quiet time in the house just, just reading together and enjoying that sounds a little cheesy but in no, this age of great. technology where we're just always on our phone yeah. or on our computer then kind of turning everything off for a little while you don't mm-hmm. need to talk to each other no. but it can be a, a little bit of a nice time and just re- continue to reinforce that those academic skills we carry with us through our whole lives mm-hmm. and um, even into the summer. I
2: agree. Um, so one thing that I will say because I do think that any parent can set up structures and systems and things in their own homes for that. But I do think there are other factors that can make that more complicated. Mm -hmm. If there's um, Mm -hmm. lack of security with an income or food insecurity, as we mentioned earlier, being able to take time to do those things Mm -hmm. um, may become drastically more difficult. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. For parents that are struggling with things beyond um, just raising their child, which is no small feat in and of itself... uh, what are the alternatives? I guess, or how could we help parents think through that?
3: Actually, just if I could piggyback on that question, mm-hmm. one of the things that I wondered about in hearing, you know, about there being opportunities out there, um, just because I'm less familiar with New York City than than my own city, but is how those opportunities are distributed, you right. know, amongst uh, different neighborhoods? Because right. you know, I know that public transportation, for example, isn't evenly distributed amongst the five boroughs in terms of access and quality and how quickly you can get from. A to point B, Absolutely. and so one of the things that I, I kind of wonder is, you know, are, are there concentrations of areas where it's easier to get access to free sure. summer programming or others? And it, and if if at all, how those relate to the question Matt's raising about, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you're if people are more likely to be working many jobs and mm-hmm. be very uh, mm-hmm. potentially food insecure in some of those areas or um, otherwise economically insecure, what ways you know whether mm-hmm. those things correlate in, in, in any way?
1: Those are really great questions. Yeah. I'm I'm not an encyclopedia of the opportunities in New York City, but I, I think that another question to ask, um, if we're getting to ask questions, is how many of the summer learning opportunities also involve academic skills? Mm-hmm. Because there are a lot of summer academic ac- summer activities that are really wonderful, and they're sports related or they're you know like games related or community based, but they're not necessarily going to be reinforcing. Um, reading mm-hmm. writing numeracy inquiry those kinds of things that we might see in school so even though you were out every day sure. playing and you know and if maybe it's going to increase your social uh, iq but uh, it right. may or may not support your academic progress or reduce the the atrophy in those academic
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is that I do feel like in New York, the library is something that could be leveraged. Um, Like when I worked in Detroit, oftentimes for students to be able to get to a library, there wasn't reliable public transportation. And that was in some ways a pipe dream or Mm -hmm. would put the student possibly in an area that wasn't safe for them to be by themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think at least like in New York... New York
1: public library system yes. is really strong. It's really yeah. strong. Yeah. And I think the yeah. city has really committed and doubled down on yes. those libraries, especially those local branch libraries. Mm-hmm. That they're you know within lot. most of the cities within the boroughs yeah. or most neighborhoods within the boroughs, they have either a library in their neighborhood yes. or in an adjacent neighborhood that it's either yeah. accessible through by walking or through um, public transportation. Yeah. Um, the New York City Parks Parks and Rec also does a really nice um, summer. It is more of an athletic uh, mm-hmm. opportunity, but they have a day camp from like 9 to 11 or a sort do. of morning um, split up by ages that um, have kids who track and field. Um, and that's uh, 100% that you guys of have my, my kids have been yeah. doing, doing that for mm-hmm. years. They have you know, track and field twice a week,
0: um, completely free and all supported by the yeah. city. And in a big track meet uh, yeah.
1: out on uh,
0: Randall's Island mm-hmm. over the summer, Isn't that so. great? I'd like to jump into the libraries, because uh, library was sort of my children's summer day camp when Mm -hmm. they were young, and when I was a teacher and was around a little bit. So that said, I was kind of monitoring and supervising Mm -hmm. and also taking some of my time in the summer to take them to the library. Um, I think that that's a a really, really great resource, Matt, and I'm glad that you brought it up, and Roberta, you also feel that way. Um, I think it's a time for... Perhaps schools need to support parents to do this, but families or or teachers to help students think about what do I want to read? What are my favorite series? What kind of books do I like? And then the summer becomes an opportunity to expand your reading into your own personal passions and interests. Yeah. Um, and so my, my poor kids used to have to carry home you know huge piles, but then it felt like a luxury to be able to spread them around mm-hmm. on the floor from the library, and then we, we would return them. So I really encouraged figuring out is it Captain Underpants this year, you know, that wonderful series, or Junie B. Mooney, I remember, had a big showing in our household one summer, um, and kind of luxuriating in something that you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the numbers, to go back to them, do show that it's reading where we supposedly have the largest gap, I mean, I mean where we have a large gap, um, and, and maybe that's where we could address that that issue as
1: well I want to double down on what you yeah. said Courtney and that to answer your question more directly Matt like yeah. what do parents do when they're struggling you know to find these opportunities and they may be struggling to put food on the table so right. sending my kid to the $700 a week camp is like out mm-hmm. of the question or even um, a $50 a week, a week camp yeah literally not free no not free is the a problem that's right, right. Mm-hmm. so but that's where I really think that like parents are they need support from the local schools Totally agree. They need that that homework packet. They need that summer project. Mm-hmm. They need that. They need some sort of scaffolding and support from that from the outside of yep. the family that doesn't cost any money, but that can help them to create that structure in their family. And say like this is what we have to mm-hmm. do, and you have to do it. The school, the school said so. So that's why we're here. And and um, I think oftentimes teachers don't. Some teachers or some schools are really dedicated to giving that summer reading list or are making those recommendations, but they sometimes feel um, apprehensive to really make it an assignment or to make it an assignment that's worth a lot for the kids for the next year. Mm-hmm. But I think that it can be so valuable. Um, so, you know, most parents really, really care about their kids' education Absolutely. and they are going to be responsive to a requirement that the school offers if it's communicated clearly. So really putting that out there and, and really – Creating a structured project or a structured expectation around um, around those academic skills, I think is I mean, going to be very, very helpful to mm-hmm. those parents who um, aren't able to provide their students with uh, other kinds of
2: opportunities. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the place where I wanted to go next, thinking about what can teachers and administrators do to help this, and I think what you guys have already touched on is recommending materials to work Absolutely. on. When I was a teacher, I was always very specific about it, um, I did have a summer assignment, that I had for the incoming kids, but for those who were leaving me, um, I would set up plans because they would say, you know, I really want to work and read and continue to do this. And so not only would I recommend books, we would actually map out how many pages a day, what days they would read. And most importantly, what days they wouldn't read. right? So that they still felt ownership of that summer, because if a student gets four or five books to read over Mm -hmm. the summer, the first reaction may be, Oh my God, that's too much. But if you break down, say, actually, you know, 15 pages a day, four days a week, mm-hmm. this is what you'll read in that summer. And so I think being not just recommending, but very clear Absolutely. in that path. Mm-hmm. I also found being available via email, or if you're comfortable enough, like text message or mm-hmm. phone, because giving students that connection to school, like, mm-hmm hey, I was actually, I just found this article, and I was wondering what you thought. That's their attempt Mm -hmm. to engage intellectually, and that takes five minutes of your time to provide that. Um, And the other thing, which I've never done, but I've seen other teachers do, um, is run a Google site or Twitter or Facebook over the summer, where they'll just, they'll have a bunch of students um, connected to that, post reading material, and allow the students to respond to one another. And that's kind of a low lift Mm -hmm. on the teacher um and then this one is probably the least appealing to teachers but volunteering over the Mm -hmm. summer bringing kids into your classroom once every three weeks over the summer i realize with some buildings that's hard to get the permissions and get that unlocked but i do believe most administrators if you go to them and say hey i want to help kids learn over the summer (laughs) there there will there will be support for that and, and i found that effective um with my students, not just academically, but in feeling connected to the school, um, you know, we would provide meals when they would come in to to deal with f- food insecurity and provide the, those benefits for students. Um, I don't know if people have other recommendations for teachers, but at least that's what I've done in the past.
1: Well, I wanted to hear more about the, the numeracy camp that, um, that you do, Nick, and how you set that up for the students and also how you yeah. do an ap- academic program that that teaches those skills, but also is separate to school and feels separate to then school?
3: Uh, sure. So uh, I guess uh, the, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. The, the camp started initially out of uh, just a concern as I was leaving, teaching to go back to grad school. And some of my students were going to transition to junior high about uh, what kind of supports there would be for those students in place over the summer as they try to bridge that gap from grade six to in Canada with Middle school, junior high, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. um, and one of the areas of you know of, of leverage I thought was was in was numeracy. In if you feel a little bit com- uh, confident about math, uh, often that confidence will translate to other subject areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the students that I was most concerned about were students who weren't connected to other summer programming uh, who for a variety of reasons. Uh, had sort of fallen through the, the cracks of, of, of what was available uh, in the community um, and so we uh, started initially just doing like a little bit of math and a little bit of uh, learning from community leaders in the uh, local indigenous community so we'd learn about language culture um, and we'd also you know play some games and do do some field activity stuff just to get out and be active um, and that developed over the over course of four years into that initial cohort of students becoming um, youth leaders to lead and mentor other students. And we started to do a little bit more ambitious uh, multimedia projects on a social justice issue identified by community stakeholders of of interest and relevance. Um, So um, two years ago, we did a thematic project on the federal, the funding gap for federally funded Mm -hmm. uh, reserve schools in Canada, uh, which is 30 to 50 percent when compared with similar schools uh, off reserve. Um, and so students uh, learned about this uh, and learned about mathematical concepts uh, related to understanding what this gap is and what it means and why it's maybe unconstitutional, uh, and then created a, a digital project to to share about that. So we uh, uh, we made a video about the funding gap and um, and released it on social media during the federal election campaign and across platforms we had like. 70,000 views, and the leader mm-hmm. of the opposition in Canada signed our petition, mm-hmm. um, and so it was a really powerful experience where numeracy and the sort of political action came together with also, you know, transportation, free meals, and a sort of holistic, barrier-free, um, culturally-based uh, approach to to learning and having a positive summer experience. Mm-hmm.
1: And is that funded awesome. through the school system, or how is that? Because that we, it yeah. doesn't sound like, that's not like... A guy going to like knock on my school. can you open the building? I'm gonna have these mm. kids here for a little while and then like going home.
3: I mean, it was you know, it's it's not, it's not that different than Matt knocking on his, his school door. We partner with a, a university mm-hmm. um, in in Winnipeg, the University of Winnipeg. and uh, we're funded primarily through a, a few different grant sources. I generally work as a volunteer uh, each summer or like very close to a volunteer. Uh, sometimes I'll have a small honorarium if, uh, if there's money left over at the end of the year. Um, but, yeah, it's, been, it's year-to-year funding, working with a variety of stakeholders. Uh, we're, we're not core-funded through, you know, through the, the government, uh, but there are some programs that were. In part, we were actually responsible. There was a core-funded program for newcomer youth um, in the same area, but the indigenous youth uh, weren't invited to participate in it, and there was no equivalent uh, program. So we tried to make something kind of similar uh, for, for, students who weren't having access
2: to that. So, yeah. And I think to build on Roberta's question, so something else teachers can be thinking about is looking for grants mm-hmm. to be able yeah. to run a program over the summer or even probably slightly less of a lift, especially if you're in a city, looking with a university partner okay. or maybe a nonprofit partner to come up with something in your vision to best help kids over the summer. Um,
3: yeah, and try, and I think it, it really helps it to the extent that we can, if you have an idea, if you can get together and see what other people's ideas Absolutely. are and what their sense of need is yeah. in a community. I, like we work from, there was already a, a community stakeholder plan through Wichiwakanak Learning Center, which is the mm. community outreach arm of UW. Um, and we were able to see that, oh, we have this idea, and it aligns with these ideas that community members have identified for mm-hmm. their children, and then to sort of build off of that mm-hmm. uh, together. Um, and yeah we started off uh, my wife didn't instead of an engagement ring um, we, we, we like, my wife decided that like we would use that money to kind of fund the first bits of, of summer camp and they were able to find some grant money for food uh, and that was how it that, how it all started really uh, in terms of the funding side of things and then by doing something we were able to leverage a little bit more because when you wow. do something and show that you have some good engagement mm-hmm. and good results then you can ask for more to get more investment in that. Great model. Yeah. yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Um, so switching to other educators, uh, what about administrators? Ooh, what I can think, administrators do?
0: Hey, administrators, I think a lot of it's about you. I think that <laughs> you guys are in awesome positions. I'm listening to what Nick just told us; such a fantastic story. And I think that um, you mentioned also, Matt, teachers that teachers should be out there looking for these grants and that. Mm-hmm. They do exist, and what are the opportunities for teachers to create summer opportunities for students, Um, like the numeracy camp, uh, like some of the other things we've been talking about? I think really it works best when it's school-wide or when administrators are looking for these opportunities and supporting their teachers, maybe their guidance counselors, other school staff, um, and support teams to go for grants and to develop some of these opportunities. Um, You know, all schools have to provide summer school and it's generally looked at as an opportunity for students who need to make up credits or have failed, right, and they need to make it up. Um, Some schools that I've seen have really looked at it as an opportunity to provide students with traditionally acceleration or Mm -hmm. just, you know, academic opportunities to strengthen themselves um, or not atrophy over the summer. So I think, to go back to your question, I think that um, It's wonderful and really helpful when administrators take on some of this. I think school-wide programs, school-wide approaches, to go back to what Roberta said, are incredibly, exponentially more successful and helpful. Um, And they also, they have staying power, so you can pass it on from year to year, and it becomes a school-wide culture of we support students during the summer. What are you doing over the summer? What's your project? Or, you know, when are you going to be at summer school? Whatever it is. Um, We actually... um, I worked at a small middle school and we did have a summer school that was grant supported um, just for about three or four weeks. I think that's about what we could um, provide. And we couldn't offer opportunities financially for all students to be there. It was free for the kids. Um, But we had just a wonderful, wonderful heterogeneous mix of students who needed to kind of make up some credits or Mm had failed and students who wanted to be there um, or were encouraged by their teachers to be there. I think that administrators can offer a lot of these opportunities. It's really a good question um, and really important that they're thinking about sort of the whole year and what are we offering our kids and what are we offering our students. Yeah. I'm a big proponent, obviously.
1: I really like the comment that you made about we often see summer school as for remediation for making up credits or getting that studying and for your regents exams or your state tests. Um, I also agree that thinking more broadly about what opportunities summer can be a part of um, and looking at it as about, like, getting ahead or building up new skills, Um, even if you were to ask the teachers who are getting paid to teach summer school, can you stay for 45 minutes, can you volunteer one hour of our time, and we want to offer an 8th grade summer bridge program for 8th grade students to come Mm -hmm. in for one hour, um, Mm -hmm. you know, from 11 to 12 or from 12 to 1 o'clock. Um during the summer to get some study yeah. basic study skills or to do some some quick surveys or to really work on their literacy and their numeracy yeah, basic absolutely. skills. And beyond that, really supporting our high school students who are getting ready to graduate, our graduates have just they're just finished. Exactly. They're getting ready to go to college. You know, a, a three week once at one hour a week one hour a day for three yeah. weeks on on writing a research paper or on sure. you know building up your study habits for college those kinds of things that really that 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 are in those sort of skills that are between you know middle school and high school between high school and college so You're just taking that on and asking people to can you know donate one hour of your time. To, to do this for a period of time, or, or partnering with a community-based organization, giving mm-hmm. them space in your building and access to your students to be able to support a mission that they already have, you know, really thinking creatively about um, how that time can be well spent.
3: Yeah. I was just going to say, in, in terms of staffing, I think at each of those transition steps, uh, it's a really powerful opportunity for school leaders and policymakers to think about ways to uh, connect alumni to schools. So. Yeah. Um, so that you have students who have come, you know, from your elementary mm-hmm. school who are in a middle school now coming back to do some to support some peer, mm-hmm. you know, mentorship and learning or from high school to the middle school or from college, you know, in the summer right. coming back to support mm-hmm. high school kids who might be making mm-hmm. that same kind of
1: transition. And Nick, that's a, such a great model that you talked about in your in the numeracy camp that, that you have these older students and who've been through it, then they become mm-hmm. the model teachers or the this are peer leaders for the younger students. If you were to just take it on for a couple of years, you could have college mm-hmm. students who come back Absolutely. and work with the high school students getting ready to go to college. You Absolutely. don't actually need a huge teaching force. but we just need our systems and structures that allow kids yeah. to learn from other kids. You get juniors and mm-hmm. seniors to support that eighth grade bridge. right? You get, you get your freshmen and sophomores in college to support the, the graduates who are getting ready to go to college. Any of those things, awesome um, or, you know, any one thing is going to help um, a group of kids pretty tremendously.
3: Yeah, and it has great payoffs for you know, people who are developing their own resumes and career experience yeah. along the way. Absolutely, you know? and so that that pays dividends in terms of community capacity and internships
0: after, for all. You know, absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, so internships for all is actually, oh. um, ironically, uh, a uh-huh. great kind of segue into the last <laughs> stakeholder you that I want to think know. about this because I'd like to talk about what policymakers can do yeah, and think well, about yeah. in both in a governmental sense but those um, for nonprofits or um, mm-hmm. corporations in the sense of internships that are that are running summer learning programs because in my experience teaching and I think it's already been stated a little bit here oftentimes students who are failing classes and are enrolled in summer school are provided a path for something to do in the summer. Um, Whether that's always effective or not, of course, is up to debate, but a path is provided. Then a lot of other programs, there are cutoffs. And so whether uh, intentionally or unintentionally become uh, application-based. And so there's this large segment of the population that doesn't necessarily fit into either of those um, kind of camps that, There's nothing really for. So I think something that policymakers really need to think about is how do we serve all students? How do we Mm -hmm. not just um, cherry pick from what we think is the top or what we think is the bottom, but rather um, constantly see education as a growing process? And um, and something for me that I query, and maybe one of you, because you're far more intelligent than I, can, Come on. <laughs> can can speak to this if this is something that makes sense to be done through public initiatives um, given how little there actually is spent by the government on education or is this something that needs to go a private or nonprofit route
0: yes all of the above <laughs> you're welcome <Yes>. next question <laughs> good answer no, i mean
1: it would be great to see more robust summer funding programs Mm -hmm. through departments of education or through um, other public funding opportunities, especially for um, our low-income families, of students who do not have the means to provide Mm -hmm. opportunities for their kids at the same rate, and the the impact that Mm -hmm. not having those opportunities has on those students academically in the future. Thinking about, you know, so think about it as preventative care is a whole lot more expensive than the mm-hmm. year later. And it's mm-hmm. going to be a lot cheaper to give kids you know, access to free summer curriculum um, than mm-hmm. it is to figure out how to get them all to stop dropping out in two or three years. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there are clear links between the opportunity gap and, and the learning gap and the mm-hmm. achievement gap, mm-hmm. sort of as we see those one informs the sure. other and dropping out of high school, not being able to complete, or being um, in the system for much, much longer. Um, But I don't want to undercut the value of outside of government funding, so Mm -hmm. not-for-profit, donation-based funding, parent-teacher associations using some of that PTA funding, those donations, Mm -hmm. to provide opportunities for kids in the summer. Um, and, and, and private organizations who, who recognize that it, it is in their best interest to give back to the community so that the community can be well-educated mm-hmm. to take on those jobs for that organization in the future. So, I mean, I know I sort of said flippantly, like, yes, haha, yeah. but also, I mean, like, yes, yes. Uh, we need all kinds, I think, and, and, and we're in a bad place when everybody wants to point the finger at somebody else and say, well, it, that person should do it, that person should do it, that person should do it, we should all do it.
2: Well, I I think for me, and sorry if someone else wants to weigh in, they can weigh in, but the way that you framed it is that it would be great if our schools could provide education to everyone and things throughout the year, and I think that's where the frame of opportunity gap is actually really important Mm -hmm. because it's recognizing that there's not an equal opportunity, and how do we equalize that? Mm -hmm. And if that's left to the private sector, I wonder if that outcome is not as strong as if it's left to the public sector. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't have an answer on this, but I think that's why it's so important to think about how we think about this. If you think about it in terms of learning loss, I think it becomes easy to put it on the students, right? Yes. Like you're losing that learning. Mm-hmm. If you think of it um, as an achievement gap, you're weighing what's happening over the summer in the terms of some kind of testing that comes out with a number as opposed to the other cultural factors that are happening. Whereas when you take that opportunity gap frame, um, that problematizes the problem mm-hmm, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: in a completely different way. I mean, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling. So if someone else wants to say something, they can. Oh, but You I, know, yeah. the
0: word opportunity gap makes me want to jump in because I think it is all about uh, envisioning different opportunities for our youth and then tapping into different organizations or different uh stakeholders. So for example, I think that private industry has Mm -hmm. perhaps a different role to play than say nonprofits, for example. Um, There are so many community-based organizations now, um, which have actually, I've seen develop in New York over the past 10 years, and they're interacting more and more with the schools. So if we could just leverage that, and if policy perhaps could support schools to be tapping into what the community-based organizations can offer even over the summer, not just during the school year, then that's sort of a win-win. Similarly, um, you know, I've been through the internship uh, rigmarole a number of times now with my older kids. um, And that's that's a really complicated, very complicated thing also, because who gets the internships and who's left out? And Mm -hmm. for a long time, internships didn't have to pay. And so it left a whole swath of you know, the majority of kids actually out of Mm -hmm. the equation who had to work over the summer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was a law passed in New York, actually, over the past year that you have to pay interns. And so I was pretty excited about that. And my kids were pretty excited. And then my daughter said to me, you know, there are fewer and fewer internships being offered (laughs) because and they're more and more competitive because they have to pay. Mm -hmm. And she named a bunch of her friends who you know, we're applying for these internships, and there were fewer and fewer. So I think I'm just putting that out there. It's it's pretty it's complicated, you know, and it's really important to think carefully about the consequences of some policy or mm-hmm. the consequences of some vision of how how perhaps these things should play out. Because you know, you can't always tell. I do think that internships are really important, and I think that those are areas that um, are educational opportunities that. Sort of, as Nick said, with the numeracy camp can become like project based. You can mm-hmm. learn a lot of numeracy and, and a lot of literacy through a job or through an internship. So I think the private sector definitely could be supported with policy and, and build some of those out. Um, but but I don't think that's the only way to do it. I think that public the public sector needs to be involved too.
3: Definitely. Yeah, I think to, I think to echo uh, some of I think part I think I agree with Matt that. The public sector has a robust uh, role yeah. to play. Like I think that you can put some, some measures in place to make sure the money is being spent in, in effective ways, but having stable core funding for these kinds of initiatives yeah. to build maybe continuity maybe. is really, really key. And I think that you're less likely to see stable core funding uh, from stakeholders who, who are less connected to like, sure. the public. Good. If this is something that we need for democracy to have educated citizens across the board, okay. then this is something that we should commit to you know, annual, ongoing investment in, 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 serious concern and you know uh, businesses have to balance a lot of other considerations totally. and I think that while that could it can be nice for, for the private sector to pitch in and top mm-hmm. up or augment what, what's mm-hmm. going on having that core band of reliable funding also that allows you to pick and choose which private sector partnerships make the most sense for the learners um, is, is really really valuable so that you're not partnering up with anyone who will just give you enough money to keep your program alive that you have that sort of uh, poor really sustainability beautiful. so you can have a little bit more agency in thinking of which private sector partners are the best fit, if and, if and when you partner with.
2: Well, and I think this sustainability, especially when talking, mm-hmm. whether, actually, whether you're talking about public or private, it comes back in a way to money. I mean, mm-hmm. where's the money coming from to sustain these programs? And so something we had talked about before the podcast was, what about an extended school year, where it's year-round school and the breaks are taken out at different times? I mean, essentially, that's what you would budget for. And I, I guess I have some thoughts on that, but Roberta, I know you had done some research on that. Has that proven effective for students or no?
1: It's pretty inconclusive at this mm. point. Uh, they've been doing a bunch of research, and there are some studies that say yes, and there are some studies that say, yeah, not so much. I think ultimately, whether if you're not going to go to school for 12, 12 months out of the year, mm-hmm. <laughs> every single week for 52 weeks, then you're going to see some sort of atrophy at some point, whether that atrophy is... A little bit of a time, a little bit at a time over the course of the three months, and so you're always going two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. Or if it's a big portion uh, during the summer where you're going six steps forwards and three steps back, you know it sort of seems to be six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, there are a lot of benefits to year-round school. Um, you know that that people will cite around. You know. Distributing, um, you can have more kids in a building. You can offer more different kinds of programmings. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of cons um, and a lot of drawbacks that you don't have a consistent schedule. That families might have kids on different tracks with different vacation times. That that we do have, for better or worse, uh, a rhythm to the year in our culture um, that that indicates sort of summarizes the time for relaxing mm-hmm. vacations and that that happens beyond mm-hmm. the school years as beyond school-aged kids as well. So. Right now, that the the research is not conclusive that it's sort of either better or worse um, to have you around school. Mm-hmm. The question is just when there are gaps um, in in official schooling, where are there opportunities, and what are the best opportunities that we should be looking for for our kids? Man, I want to come back to this question. It's so important. Like, whose responsibility mm-hmm. is it? And I don't mean to like be a <laughs> stick in the mud about it, but I. Just going to keep coming back to saying, like, it really is everyone's responsibility. And I think part of the challenge we have in our culture is that we think about summer learning opportunities or learning opportunities on break being only the parent's responsibility, right? That's over the summertime, unless you're teaching summer school, like schools want to say, I'm out, right? Districts want to say, I'm out. And everybody deserves a vacation. But, like, every, when everybody wants to sort of say, like, okay, it's summer, it's not my turn yet, either that, that kid isn't mine yet or that kid isn't mine anymore, right. you know, it, it does fall to the parent. And parents need help figuring out what are the best opportunities for their kids. Um, they need help understanding the importance of those opportunities and why it's so important for them to find a spot um, for their kid to be learning over time. And I'm going to come back to say, I I think that, yes, a a core support from um, from our government that's going to be more stable is really, really valuable. And also, private institutions and donors Mm -hmm. need to be considering the impact of having a well-educated generation. And that is only going to serve them in the future. I'd love to see a program where they get point, I don't know, I'm not an economist, right? But like, that 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 for every investment that a private organization makes in a, in an opportunity for youth, they get to, you know, sure. deduct that from the taxes they're gonna pay. That's a one-to-one, right? Like what the company would give to the city, what the city would give to the kids, you know, make that more direct and they can put it on their brochures about how great they are and people go, oh that person did that, that's nice, I'll shop there, whatever. Like we need to be using all all points of access to benefit our kids and not saying it's only one person or it's here or it's there. Everybody needs to pitch in because everybody is going to benefit. Everybody's going to benefit from a well-educated generation, and everyone is going to lose from from a poorly educated generation.
2: So, thank you, Roberta. Sorry.
1: No, that's all right because I think. (laughs) I agree. How I I on the table? Absolutely. I I I'm not going to get invited back next (laughs) time.
3: Yes, you are. That was great. Well, we could. We could. We haven't addressed. You know the the gap by trying to level down and just banning reading in the summer yeah, for anyone exactly. who's getting ahead, right? Level like, ahead. So, so I like Roberta's like strong it. claim that it yeah. is better to, to learn than not yeah. learn. They, we've been that operating under claim. that assumption. That's, That's right. right. It's my claim. But we could that just boycott So, so yeah, we, yeah. Are, we
2: are not going to institutionalize Fahrenheit 451 into <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Numbers, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Roberta, I think, had expressed essentially kind of like our final thoughts in her summation of this. So I'd like to give each of you Um, also time to summarize maybe your thoughts from the conversation, something that has been said you'd like to repeat or something that hasn't been said that you think is necessary um, for this conversation.
0: Well, basically, I just want to say, Roberta, I agree. (laughs) I think, I I really do. I think that it's everyone's responsibility. Um, We need to be looking at our youth. We need to be thinking at all times about how we're supporting them from ages, you know, from birth up to 21, 25, whatever it is. Um, And I I just think that we all need to be taking it really seriously. And um, it's everyone's job to take care of and educate our youth um, and understand that they are alive for 12 months a year and that we need to be taking the summer seriously, um, whether we are, you know, really intent on educating them over the summer because of this gap or we're offering them opportunities to become full people and you know, important, um, you know, parts of our society. So so I I think it's a big deal. Everyone's
3: issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I definitely agree with, uh, you know, we need everybody in, in terms of stakeholder engagement and, and people contributing. I think that everyone has a uh, place to play. I also really think that, um, that emphasis that, that I've heard throughout the conversation on a, a concrete plan whether that's at the level of individual classroom teachers individual families uh, or you know teach uh, administrators and policymakers mm-hmm. having concrete plans and systems and structures to address these so that we're not only you know mm-hmm. bringing everyone to the table but also really thinking about the division of labor and who can contribute where and I think that that those happen at all of those levels you know it, it happens at a very local level and at a very broad sure. policy level but to the extent that we can bring that broad engagement with a really concrete rigorous plan yeah. um we have opportunities to, to have a more educated society that's and, right and that wouldn't be such a bad thing
1: and i know i did my writing no again. no then you I can, can go again always <laughs> <laughs> round two um, <laughs> that as teachers, as educators, we often can feel very discouraged when it comes time to, like, what does that summer project look like or sending out that summer homework or that summer packet. And it is our vacation, too, and, and we want to have it. And I want to say, like, teachers work so, 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 so hard that summer vacation is just about equity. It's about all of getting back a few of the hours that you put in um, during the school year uh, above and beyond the expectations. Um, so I can understand uh, a resistance, a hesitance, or even sort of a discouragement around like, well, I'll tell the kids to read, but nobody is going to do it anyway. So why would I spend my time doing that? And I can understand that, that perspective if that's one that, um, that you're holding. But I think that the frame that I would want to offer is that no one definitely will do it if we don't ask them to. <laughs> right? Students absolutely won't be reading unless we ask them to. They absolutely won't be doing Um, inquiry work or working around their numeracy or working on a a piece of writing if we don't ask them to. And so the extent to which we hold students accountable for it, the the extent to which it's your first grade when you get back to school, the extent to which, you know, somebody looks at it or collects it, but just knowing that to do it is to benefit, Mm -hmm. not offering that then, not giving someone a script, not giving somebody a guideline, not giving someone a project then just guarantees that it absolutely won't happen. Um, so so, just do it. Put together five books that kids should read. Put together right. a little project that they should read. Tell them that they get extra credit uh, for doing it at the beginning of the year, or that they're gonna, you know, whatever you want to do. But just just give them something to do. Give them some sort of goalpost to 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 shoot for. And and
3: maybe share this information about the effects of, of summer. Right. Sure. I think, but it, it empowers youth to understand that take there are consequences. Yeah, yeah, to take responsibility. Absolutely. I think it That's empowers families uh, when they're aware that there's actually research that shows that, you know, if we do certain things, we can help um, put our kids in a better position come fall. Yeah. And if we don't do those things, actually, it makes a real difference. It's not That's right. even. That's right. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've been trying to think about how to, to put what I'm going to try to articulate together, and I've not really been successful. But I think no matter how hard we try as teachers, during the school year, students still carry that identity of student. And there are mm-hmm. things that trouble students outside the classroom, that they never take a back seat, but they're not as apparent because there are so many things with school. And in the summer, that intervention of school, that positivity, hopefully, of school is completely taken away. And if there are troubles there, um, whether they're family troubles, whether they're community mm-hmm. troubles, whether they're individual troubles, um, those come out full force. Mm. And we haven't taken ownership, whether that's as a school or a society or a community to provide for that accountability and growth during the summer. Um, and, it, and I don't know how that's done, but I think that's something, think forward. I mean, like I know myself over the summer, I had to work every summer from the time I was 11 older to provide money. I mean, my family needed that. And so there wasn't necessarily the opportunity to go to a camp or do things like that. Um, but there should be something there. And I, and I don't know how we get there, but that's something maybe to work towards. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So I don't know. Happy summer. Yeah, <laughs> there happy are smiles summer. all around. Uh, make sure to continue tuning in every Thursday to listen to the wise people that surround me and embarrass me. And remember to review,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, and subscribe to this podcast. Your feedback is greatly important to us um Have a great almost summer.
1: That's right. Well, some people are awesome, but yes, have a great almost yes, summer. Almost. And that's so great to uh, Nick. Hey.
2: You did it! Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Woo. Thanks.
2: All right. Thanks. All right.
0: Bye. Bye. Bye.